Hey everybody, welcome to Wednesday Night Bible Study. Um, we're looking at John chapter 11 right now, and actually finishing up this week with verses 45 to 57. So tonight will be the last night of John chapter 11, and uh, I think we'll be taking a break for a few weeks, just for a summer, a summer break, and then we'll be coming back at the beginning of September. So just to, uh, we're going to read through the last few verses together. And then we'll expound a little bit. <clears throat> John chapter 11, verse 45. Many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen. But some went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the leading priests and Pharisees called the high council together. What are we going to do? They asked each other. This man certainly performs many miraculous signs. If we allow, allow him to go on like this, soon everyone will believe in him. Then the Roman army will come and destroy both our temple and our nation. Caiaphas, who was high priest at that time, said, You don't know what you're talking about. You don't realize that it's better for you that one man should die for the people than for the whole nation to be destroyed. He did not say this on his own. As high priest at that time, he was led to prophesy that Jesus would die for the entire nation. And not only for that nation, but to bring together and unite all the children of God scattered around the world. So from that time on, the Jewish leaders began to plot Jesus' death. As a result, Jesus stopped his public ministry among the people and left Jerusalem. He went to a place near the wilderness, to the village of Ephraim, and stayed there with his disciples. It was now almost time for the Jewish Passover celebration, and many people from all over the country arrived in Jerusalem several days early so they could go through the purification ceremony before Passover began. They kept looking for Jesus, but as they stood around in the temple, they said to each other, What do you think? He won't, come for, he won't come for Passover, will he? Meanwhile, the leading priests and Pharisees had publicly ordered that anyone seeing Jesus must report it immediately so they could arrest him. So, it's <clears throat> going back up to 45. So remember, what just happened is, where we're picking up from, was like, he just told Lazarus to come out of the tomb. And because of that... It says that many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen. I mean, I'll tell you what. If I saw a man speaking, saying, Lazarus, come out of the tomb. And I know this guy's been dead and in the tomb for a minimum of four days. And the Lazarus comes out and he says, unwrap him, let him go. Whew, I'm going to believe whatever he says. That guy is God. <coughs> you know? So that's basically where Jesus is at. So we also see in John chapter 2, verse 23... John chapter 10, verse 42, and John chapter 12, 11, and 18, these also give accounts of people coming to believe in Jesus after seeing him perform miraculous signs or miracles. But the one thing I see is this. This is great. Jesus performs a miracle. You're like, I believe in your Jesus, your God, your God, right? But what I see is this. They should have believed when he told them he was God. So we need to exercise the type of faith that, that believes without seeing. Uh, I'll give you an example of that, John chapter 20, verses 24 to 29. One of the twelve disciples, you guys probably have heard this before, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand into the wound in his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and look in my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. 
Then Jesus told him, You believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. And that's, that's you and me. You and I have not seen Jesus. We have heard tell of Jesus. We have read about what he has done in the accounts in the scriptures. We have heard of Jesus from maybe our parents or maybe a pastor or some passerby that has explained Jesus to us. And we've come to believe, you know, that's how we need to be. But we need to continue on that course. We need to continue on believing in Christ without having any tangible evidence. You know, we don't need, we don't, we shouldn't be like, well, God, you know, I'll keep believing in you if you do this or when I see this happen. You know, we, we don't need to test God. You don't need to test God. What we need to do is believe God. Take him at his word. Take him at his word. Verse 46, but some went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So remember, many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen, when they saw Lazarus come out of the, the tomb, right? But some went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So apparently, obviously, I like this quote from David Guzik. David Guzik says this, The words and works of Jesus divide humanity between those who believe and those who reject. So you see, there's the faction of people that believe in Jesus because they believe in what they've seen. And even some of them believe in, they haven't seen anything, but they still believe that he is God. Then there's the faction that reject him, the Pharisees and a lot of their followers. So you see the people running off to tell the Pharisees, look what he did, might not be, they might be pawns in the game. You know what I mean? They might be pawns, but they might not really believe. And they're actually rejecting Jesus and going to report back to the Pharisees because that's who they have allied themselves with. So that you see with some of these people, it's probably they're doing this out of loyalty to the religious leaders of the time, or it might actually be out of fear of the religious leaders at the time. So you see this happening. Jesus Christ brings division, not in a bad way, in a good way. He brings division in a good way. He, like, like David Yusek says, he brings division between those who believe and those who reject him. And like God says, either you are for me, or you are against me. Because if you're not for me, then you're against me. You know, there's just two sides in here. We're only playing two sides. It's either with them or without them, right? There's either going to heaven or not going to heaven, right? And it's either, well, really, it's going to heaven or going to hell, right? And it's not because we're being sent there, those who decide that they're going to go to hell. It's because you made that choice. You were given the choice of heaven by, by believing that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. So, you see, Jesus Christ brings a lot of division, but it's a good division. He's separating the wheat from the chaff, as it says in some of the parables in, in the um, Gospels. So, you want to be the, sheep, the, the wheat, not the chaff. You, he's separating the sheep from the goats. You want to be the sheep, not the goats. So, you see, Jesus talks about this numerous times in the Gospels. So, we want to be on the side of God. Whether that might look like wheat, whether that might look like sheep, whether that might look like believers, that's the side you want to be on. Okay, you don't want to be on the chaff goat side. Um, you don't want to be on that side. You don't want to be on the I've rejected God side. Then the leading priests and Pharisees call the high council together. What are we going to do? And you think about like, what? Well, why do you even need to do anything? The guy is bringing people back from the dead. He's healing sick people and diseased people. You know, he's saving people's souls. What do you mean? What do you have to do? You should be going along with him, right? So right there, now you see the division coming to fruit, you know, fruition here. They asked each other, this man certainly performs many miraculous signs. So they're not denying what he can do. They're denying who he is. If we allow him to go on like this, soon everyone will believe in him. And they're right. They're right. Who wouldn't believe in Jesus 
after seeing what he's done. Then the Roman army will come and destroy both our temple and our nation. I think that's the interesting part there. What I see here is that they're veiling their own sinful desires for power with concern for the welfare of the nation. They're not concerned for the welfare of the nation. They're not at all. They're concerned for their own welfare, their own power. Jesus is um, threatening their hold on the nation. Their hold on the nation through power, through fear. You know, and we see people are running back to him and say, oh, this is what Jesus has done, you know. They're either running back to him out of loyalty or out of fear of them, right? So that's what Jesus threatens. He's actually threatening that. So they're not actually concerned for the nation, you know, as they say. They're concerned about their them losing their status, them losing their, their power, them losing their their financial power, their finances, you know, because they were all quite wealthy, you know. So we'll look at a couple of verses on that. Psalm chapter 2, verse 2. The kings of the earth prepare for battle. The rulers plot together against the Lord and against his anointed one. You know, David was talking about it back then. He knew this was going to happen. Acts chapter 4, 16 and 17. What should we do with these men? This is very similar. So this is after Jesus is gone. Now the disciples and the apostles are out there performing miracles. And the Pharisees have the same problem again, you know. They asked each other, we can't deny that they have performed a miraculous sign. And everybody in Jerusalem knows about it. But to keep them from spreading their propaganda any further, we must warn them not to speak to anyone in Jesus' name again. Even after Jesus is, has ascended into heaven, he's still bringing division. He's still, because he is the word, it says the word basically goes down straight to the bone, right to the heart of the matter. And that's what Jesus is still doing to this day. He gets right down to it and he shows people and you can see when Jesus comes around, you see where people really are at and you can truly see their heart. Caiaphas, who was high priest at that time, said, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't realize that it's better for you that one man should die for the people than for the whole nation to be destroyed. John 18, 14 says something, uh, tells us about this as well. It says Caiaphas was the one who had told the other Jewish leaders it's better that one man should die for the people. So basically, when he says it's better that one man should die for the people, um, he's really saying it's, it's expedient and advantageous to us that one man dies and not the whole nation. Because if the whole nation gets run over and, and is dead, they, they lose everything. They lose everything they've based their whole existence on. Power, fear, money. They lose their existence, right? Now, if one man dies for the nation, they get to keep all their all their earthly power fame all that stuff popularity right all their their fear so then verse 51 says this he did not say this on his own as high priest at that time he was led to prophesy that jesus would die for the entire nation even caiaphas through god is saying that jesus will die for the nation right what i find super interesting about this is that even though he was against jesus who is the son of god he's against god basically the guy who says he purports I, i'm teaching people about god about god is actually against god right but god still uses him to prophesy to speak of what will come that jesus christ will die for the nation to save the nation and that's what happens when jesus died he saved the nation all we had to do was accept that saving, right? All they had to do was accept it. But they don't. At least most of them don't. And then verse 52 expounds a little bit more. And not only for that nation, meaning the chosen people, the Jews, but to bring together and unite all the children of God scattered around the world. 
Now he's talking about there, yes, all the children of God, the Jews, but also all of us that get grafted in, in into the, the family of God. Ephesians 2, 14 to 18 says this, For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when, in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility toward each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him, and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. This is how he brought, his sacrifice brought, um, sorry, just blank there. Basically, his sacrifice is what brought the, the salvation to not just the Jewish nation, but to every nation. To every nation. Isaiah, Isaiah 49.6 says this. He says, you will do more than restore the people of Israel to me. I will make you a light to the Gentiles, and you will bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. So even in Isaiah, it was prophesied that Jesus would die and be a light to all nations. To all nations. So now you can see, even though Caiaphas doesn't understand that he's probably prophesied at this point, um, but you see that they are really, they're really in like knots about what Jesus is doing. They're just like, oh man, you know, we gotta stop this guy. He's totally threatening everything we have and we've built and we've spent our lives building. <coughs> you know. So then, verse 53, so from that time on, the Jewish leaders began to plot Jesus' death. Oh, that's their solution. <laughs> that is their solution. You know what? This guy is too dangerous. We need to get rid of him. I mean, I'm from New York. That's like straight up mafia talk. Yo, this new guy's on the, on the block. He's threatening our business and our way of life. We need to get rid of him. Vinny. Get the bat, Tony. Tonight we're gonna get, we're gonna take, we're gonna hit this guy, and we're gonna take him out. You know, I mean, they might as well have just done that. I mean, <laughs> I'm pretty sure this whole little section here is like the theme of most mafia movies you watch today. You know, uh, but that's besides the point. Anyways, so from that time on, the Jewish leaders began to plot Jesus' death. So it speaks about this in Matthew 26, uh, 3 and 4 as well. At that same time, the leading priests and elders were meeting at the residence of Caiaphas, the high priest, plotting how to capture Jesus secretly and kill him. You know what's just crazy? Caiaphas is supposed to be like the, the, mediation, the mediator between God and the people. And what's he doing? Instead of being the mediator, he's plotting how to kill God. So that, in a sense, is basically how it's always been from the beginning of time. Even Satan wanted to be God. And every man without Christ wants to be God. We want to depose God because we want to be God. We could see that in the building of the Tower of Babel. We wanted to be God. You know, and that's always been the case. We, we scramble for power and we scramble for finances and success because we want to be number one, the top. In reality, we want to be God. You know, they're meeting at the house, the residence of Caiaphas, the high priest. He is the guy. 
You know, he is in the same position that Aaron was in when he was first instituted. Aaron was like God to these people. You know, they spoke to Aaron. Oh, this is what we need. This is what we're lacking. Blah, 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 blah. And then Aaron went straight to God. You know, he met him in the Holy of Holies. This is Caiaphas, right? And what they're doing instead, Caiaphas now is saying, you know what? Um, obviously, he doesn't believe that Jesus is God, but I think they know, right? But they're, they're truly rejecting it, right? And he's saying, well, how do we get rid of this guy? Because I'm number one around here, right? So for 54, as a result, Jesus stopped his public ministry among the people and left to Jerusalem. He went to a place near the wilderness, to the village of Ephraim, and stayed there with his disciples. So they've been looking to kill Jesus for a while in Judea, right? Um, we see that in John chapter 4, verses 1 and 3. We see that in John chapter 7, verse 1. And you see Jesus is smart. In all these instances, it says he stayed away from that area because it's not his time to die yet. And he knows it's not his time to die yet. And he's going to steer clear of that area on purpose so that he can continue to minister. You know, he's going to glorify God. He's not just going to get taken by surprise. He will die when, he's, when he says it's time to die. 55. It was now almost time for the Jewish Passover celebration. And many people from all over the country arrived in Jerusalem several days early so they could go through the purification ceremony before Passover began. If you want to read more about the purification ceremonies and stuff, go back to the 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 first five books of the bible mainly leviticus deuteronomy it's going to detail the whole purification process before the ceremony of the passover exodus is going to tell you what the passover even is about and why it was celebrated so i would encourage you to go back to those books i'm not going to cover that today so they kept looking for jesus but as they stood around in the temple they said to each other what do you think he won't come for Passover, will he? Like, they're like, that would be audacious, this guy. I mean, if he comes for Passover, we, we totally have him. But Jesus isn't dumb. You know, he knows what they're thinking. John chapter 7, verse 11. Uh, the Jewish leaders tried to find him at the festival and kept asking if anyone had seen him. So, I mean, they are actively searching this guy out. Hey, I'm looking for this. Have you seen this picture? Have you seen this man? No, you haven't seen this man? Okay, well, here's my card. If you see this man, contact me, you know? Um, he's a dangerous man. Be careful. Steer clear of him. You know, that kind of thing. Um, so they're trying to make moves to get rid of Jesus. And they've enacted a plan. Meanwhile, the leading priests and Pharisees have publicly ordered that anyone seeing Jesus must report it immediately so they could arrest him. That's like, like putting a bounty out on his head. You know, um, <clears throat> which obviously like a show like The Mandalorian is quite has been quite popular in the last couple of years. And he's a bounty hunter and he goes in and he collects bounties for bringing uh, criminals in. Well, not even necessarily criminals, just people who had bounties on their head. So I'll be Jesus at this point. He's got a bounty on his head. They're putting out the word, find this guy. The bounty hunters are going to come in and say, okay, show us, give us a, a look at what he looks like. Okay, we're going to find this guy. They want the money, right? So I'm not saying that Judas Iscariot is a bounty hunter, but he kind of, he works the same way. He wants money for the information. Matthew 26, 14 to 16. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the 12 disciples, went to the leading priest and asked, How much will you pay me to betray Jesus to you? And they gave him 30 pieces of silver. From that time on, Judas began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. And what I see about Jesus is, about Judas is this. You can sit with Jesus and you can sit with him and sit with him and listen to him and listen to him and, and read about him and read about him, right? But if you don't allow the Holy Spirit to work what you're reading about and listening to and hearing 
into your heart, you're going to be hard-hearted. You're going to be calloused. You're going to have a calloused heart. And you're going to be like Judas. I mean, he sold the Son of God out for money. I mean, that's pretty hard, man. You know, that's 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 the deep, deep betrayal because he lived, breathed, I mean, they slept in the same places. They ate at the same places. They did everything together for three years. I mean, they lived with him for three years. And he sells them out for 30 pieces of silver. You know, Judas had a hard heart, man. He was calloused. He didn't allow the Holy Spirit to work things out of him, right? And that's what we see. So you can be like Thomas and you can believe when you see, but other than that, you're doubting, right? But what Jesus is saying is, believe me, because I said so. Then you've got people like Judas who sit with you and say, yeah, yeah, I believe, I believe. But reality, they don't believe. They're looking for what's in it for me, man. What's in it for me? I've got to follow God because I see all these people being blessed. What's in it for me? What's in it for me? Those We don't want to be like that. We want to believe Jesus without having to see him do miraculous signs. We want to sit with Jesus and we want our heart to be softened. We don't want to continue being the same person we've always been. We want the we want Jesus Christ to change us through his Holy Spirit. So that's my encouragement to you and actually my challenge at the same time. Who are you? Are you a Judas? Are you a Thomas? Are you a doubter? Or do you have a hard heart? And if you do, if you're a doubter and have a hard heart, let the Holy Spirit work in your heart. Go talk to the Holy Spirit and say, hey, um, you know who I am and how I really am. and I need you to help me out. So I'm going to leave you with that this week. God bless you and we'll catch you uh, when we start chapter 12. God bless. Have a good night.